Hello, everybody. My name is Shana. For those of you who haven't been with us before, um, I'm the teaching intern here. I actually. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> Most supportive boss. Um, I actually was reflecting this week. I was like looking back through some old emails and weirdness and realized it's been like exactly a year since I applied for this job. Um, so before we get started tonight, I just want to take a second and say thank you to those of you who have been along for the journey. I am so grateful that I've had this opportunity to learn alongside you and to get to journey with you. And I'm so grateful for the time that we've had and the time that we're going to continue to have. Um, and with that, we're going to jump in because we have like a very long, very deep passage that I'm really excited to get into tonight. So if you brought your Bible, please open it up to John 4. If you want to use like a Bible app on your phone, that's totally fine. I'm not going to judge. Um, and I also just wanted to say, I know that this Bible looks really sad right now because it doesn't have a back. But if you are someone who like wants to study the Bible more and is interested by all of the like random things that Phil and I bring up when we are giving our sermons. Study Bibles are a really cool way to start to learn about some of that yourself without having to have like 12 books open and buying a ton of really expensive things. This one is my favorite one that I have found so far. Um, the quality of the binding is really, really bad, but the quality of the writing is super good. Um, it's called the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible, and it's edited by D.A. Carson. If you want to look at it, I will have it with me after the service tonight, and you can come up and flip through it and read all my weird notes and decide if you want to buy one. Um, but flip open to John 4 in whatever Bible you happen to have with you tonight. We are looking at the story of the woman at the well. So if you've been around Christianity for a while, you have probably heard about it. Um, and we're just going to start off right towards the beginning in about verse 5 or 6, where what it tells us is that Jesus is on his way back to Galilee, and he stops in the area of Samaria in a specific town. And starting off at verse 6 here, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. All of that sounds very random. We will get to it, I promise you. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then we just have these like little parentheses just to let us know what's happening. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Another little aside, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And this night is where we get to get into our first random little like fun fact session, um, Samaritans versus Jews. So basically, Samaritans were originally kind of like a sect of Judaism, and they had a lot of differences and a lot of issues with each other, but there are like two main ones that matter for tonight. So number one was about the Bible. So Jews believed in the entire Old Testament, which is the first 39 books of the Bible that we have today. Whereas Samaritans, we'll have our Jew side and our Samaritan side. Whereas for Samaritans, they only believed in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And like their version of the Pentateuch was like slightly different. But the main idea was that 
Both of them knew about and believed about this God named Yahweh, but they both had really different perspectives of what that looked like. And we'll get more into those details later when it comes back up. And then the other difference was the temple. So Jews believed the temple should be in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans believed that the temple should be somewhere else. And that really, really mattered because at the time, you could only worship God in God's temple. God's presence did not exist anywhere. You couldn't just like pray to God wherever. You had to go to the temple to see God. And they got in such a big fight about it that like 200 years before, this Jewish leader who wasn't necessarily behaving in the way that we would say God's followers should behave went and burned down the Samaritan temple. So then obviously the Samaritans got pretty mad. So then they went and took a bunch of dead bodies and laid them all throughout the Jewish temple and desecrated it. And so they really don't like each other. And because of this, Jews had decided that Samaritans were what is called ritually unpure. And so what that means is if you're ritually unpure, you can't go inside the temple and like meet God and spend time with God. You have to follow all of these guidelines. And so what the woman is saying to Jesus is she's like, do you know that if you drink water from my basket, you can no longer go to your temple. You will be defiled because you have interacted with a Samaritan. It's wild drama, guys. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In so many words, basically what Jesus tells her is, if you knew who I am, you would have just said, well, can you just give me fresh water? Living water is like, you know, water from a stream or a waterfall, not like the old nasty water that's sitting in a well. But for Jesus, it's also like a play on words because he says living water, but as we're going to see, he's also referring to eternal life. So he's being like a little sneaky and clever with her. But she can keep up. Don't worry. This is like the coolest, deepest religious conversation that we see in the Gospel of John so far. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She's pretty much calling Jesus out, and she's like, I don't know who you think you are, but are you telling me that you for real are greater than our religious forefathers? Prove it. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again which is true. When you drink water, you get thirsty again. That tracks so far. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I don't know how in one sentence Jesus got her so intrigued but she's about it. She wants it. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. If you have ever heard a sermon on this passage before, this is typically where we get to the point where the pastor says, this woman is a prostitute because 
Number one, she came to the well at noon, which is like a weird time to come to the well because it's super hot and nobody wants to walk that far and carry all that water, so everybody goes in the morning. And number two, because she's had a lot of husbands and now lives with a guy who isn't her husband. I don't know about you, but when I hear those things, I don't automatically go to sex worker. That seems like potentially a dramatic and sexist assumption to me. So. That is one possibility, but I don't actually think that it is valid or fair to this woman at all. There are a couple other possibilities. Some people have hypothesized that this isn't talking about her at all and is actually just like some theological statement about gods that Samaritans looked at. There's another option that I think is most likely, and again, we can't prove this, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, but back in those days, you could not legally get a marriage form unless you had a dowry because the marriage form was literally just a form that said how much money a man got paid for marrying you. And so if you didn't have a dowry, number one, you couldn't have the forms. You couldn't be like formally married. Number two, you couldn't go be with some rich, hot young guy because he was gonna marry a girl who had a huge dowry. And so what would happen is you would end up in this like community approved marriage and so you would go move in with somebody and then the community would just call you man and wife even though you didn't have any paperwork and because you didn't have a dowry and you couldn't have the guys who were the best catch but you had to have a guy because women couldn't like live alone and make their own money you would end up needing to be married to a very old man who needed somebody to take care of him and so if that happens let's say you're like 14 when you get married off the first time, it is not that hard to have gone through five husbands who then passed away. So again, we don't get the details, we don't know exactly what happened, but it is not fair to just assume that this woman is a prostitute because nothing in the way that it is said is shameful. She is just someone who seems to have been through a lot. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So whatever Jesus said, it didn't offend her. She didn't slap him and say, how dare you insult me? She said, whoa, something about you is different and I can tell that you are connected to God. So no matter what you think her deal was, just remember that the point of this passage is not to shame her. The point of their little interaction here is to show that Jesus has unique knowledge. And then she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So that's back to like what we were talking about with the little like, where should the temple be divide? And so she's testing Jesus. She's like, well, you seem pretty smart. We think we should worship here and you all think we should worship there. What's true? And Jesus says, woman, which again, Phil told us a few weeks ago, that's not how we think about it these days. It's not as aggressive. It's actually just like how people greeted each other. Think about it maybe like dude, something you would just kind of throw around casually as a greeting if you don't know somebody's name, um, which like maybe names would be helpful in the story, but we don't have them. So here we are. <laughs> Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. 
That little side note there ties into, this is where we come back to the Bible difference. So basically, because the Samaritans cut off at the first five books of the Bible, they didn't get everything up through like the story of David and the Psalms and the story of Isaiah. And all of that is where we have these really cool prophecies that point towards a Messiah from the line of David, AKA Jesus. And so when he's telling her the Jews are right, he's saying, this prophecy that the Jews are expecting is the prophecy that I'm coming to fulfill. He's not saying that the Samaritans are like less important or less loved by God. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. For Jesus' message to this woman, this little phrase right here is like a huge setup point where he tells her, hey, you've been thinking forever that like we have to worship God or here or here or here, but what I'm telling you is you don't have to worship God in a specific place. God is everywhere. God is spirit and he is truth and he is with you. And I was thinking about this and I was like, well, how do we make this sound relevant? Because it has been like 2,000 years since any but he has thought that you can only worship God in a specific room. So that's not like mind-blowing to us like it would be to her. But then what I was thinking about is even though we don't think that way and we have never thought that way, we do often feel like God is distant, right? Like God is not here with us. God is off in heaven or God is somewhere, but God is not here. And that is not like the point of the passage today, but it's an important setting up point for where Jesus is going next. Before he could keep going, he needed the woman to understand that God is not, not off somewhere else. God is here. And so as we keep going tonight, just for a second, just like stick that in your mind, whether you believe it right now or feel it or not, God is here. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus says he's the Messiah. It's a very, very big deal. It's his first, like, yo, this is me, big identifier disclosure moment. And he doesn't choose to ch tell his disciples or the religious leader that he was just talking to that Phil showed us last week. He chooses to tell this woman who is from a different ethnic context that he is supposed to hate, which is kind of weird. But I think the point is that he tells her because she gets it. She's just had this incredibly deep theological conversation with him and has picked up on things that nobody else has. And now what we're about to do is the disciples are going to come back in and it's going to set up this like contrast showing us how much she gets it versus how much they absolutely do not get it whatsoever. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The reason they're so confused is because back then, if you were to talk to a woman alone, like alone but in public, um, basically it meant that you wanted to marry her. There is absolutely no reason that you would go speak to a woman 
besides to try to proposition her. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You can't marry her. But what I think is so cool, and the point of this passage is not to be like, feminist, but it's just like this really cool women empowerment moment where Jesus sees this woman and he does not approach her as a sexual object or like something to just be married, but he like sees her and values her as someone to have this incredibly deep conversation with. And I just think that's so cool. Like we just have to look at that because that was wildly countercultural for the time. His disciples gave up everything to follow him because they thought he was so cool. And when they saw him talking to a woman, they were like, dude. But Jesus doesn't care because women are more than that to him. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So told me everything I ever did would really fit if we were talking about a woman who had been put in different marriages since she was basically a child because that would be like the story of how many husbands she had had and which husband she was currently living with when her value was all wrapped up in which man she was married to. That would be the story of everything she had ever done. That would be her life story. Um, so that's just to note that that's what she's talking about. She's not talking about everything I ever did in a shameful way. She's talking about the recap of her life. But the really cool thing here was right back in verse 28, right there, leaving her water jar. This woman walked, it was probably about a mile, in the middle of the scorching sun to go get water. And this isn't just like, you know, her hydro flask or her like fancy Starbucks drink. This is like all of the water that she would have that day for drinking and for cooking, all of it. Like imagine if you didn't have your tap, didn't have anything except for one bucket of water. And what Jesus told her was so exciting that she literally left it behind. She did not even bring it with her. And I think that is so cool because it just shows how much she got it. Like she understood that whatever Jesus was saying was so wild and so important that it mattered more than having water. It mattered more than being able to make dinner. I mean, imagine making dinner without water. I know that like water is not a core part of our meals, but how often do you like rinse a vegetable or a pan or need a glass of water to drink with your meal? It's crucial. And she just left it behind. And I mean, it kind of makes me like, it made me reflect back on when I first became a Christian, which is like nine years ago now, almost 10. Um, but it was this crazy moment for me. My life up to that point, like the summary of my story had been cycles of abuse and violence and pain and brokenness. And when I met God, it was this moment where God showed me the value of human life. And I was so excited that people mattered and that I mattered and that it actually mattered how we treated things that I just like did not care about anything else for a good chunk of time because I was just so excited to tell people that it mattered. I was like, hey, you can't treat that person that way because guess what? 
that person actually matters and God is real. So it's, it's for sure. You can't treat them like that. They matter. How sick is that? And this is like all I want to talk about forever. And I like, I miss that. I miss that fire. I would not say that I am quite like that anymore, sadly. I would say I relate more to what the disciples do. Meanwhile, Jesus' disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, um, could someone else have brought him food? Because they just, they just pew, no idea that he's trying to make a bigger point here. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And then he gives like this really cool little long metaphor statement about a harvest. And basically what he's telling his disciples is that for the whole Bible, all of these prophets and all of these people and all of these writers have done all this work and all this prayer, preparing and waiting and hoping for a Messiah. And now I am here and you didn't do any of those things, but you get to be with me. And they just don't get it. First, Jesus tells this woman that he is the living water, that she doesn't need the water that she thought she needed because he's here. And then he tells his disciples, no, 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 I don't need food. My food is to do the will of God. And if you like are someone who's been around church for a while, you may already be kind of connecting the dots in your head to communion, where we talk about the bread and the water or wine being Christ's body. Here we have the same idea where God is coming to these people individually and saying, you don't need what you think you need. You need me. And this idea, I mean, even just saying it, I know that it sounds crazy, right? Because food is important and water is important. Like the necessities they're not called necessities for no reason. It's perfectly valid. <laughs> but, but this is what God says, right? We are supposed to be reflecting what Jesus says here. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Our food is to do the will of Jesus and to finish his work to love God and to show the love of God to other people. And that is weird to think about. The idea of like our religion being more important than our barest necessities. Like I just said, I like miss the days when I felt that way all the time. Um, and I feel like I've fallen more into a pattern I've been reflecting on as I was working on the sermon and thinking about of anxiety, where I am not aware of how much I need God. All I'm doing is worrying about the future and not like silly things about the future, like, um, you know, will I have the nicest car in the world, but real practical necessities, like am I going to have health insurance? Will I have a job that pays me enough that I don't have to live out of whatever car I happen to own? Will I be able to eat a meal that is maybe more nutritious than Top Ramen? That would be nice. 
And so I don't, I don't think about how much I need God all the time. And I don't have that same fire to talk about God and all the things that he saved me from because I've gotten caught up in all of these anxieties of whether or not God will be there six months from now. And so for me, when I read this passage, I'm like, there is no other way to react to this powerful of a message than to follow what it says, right? Because if you don't believe it, like if you hear that and you're like, that's not true, Jesus is not real or God is not real or blah, 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 then of course you're not going to do it. That makes sense to me. But if you believe that God is real, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then hopefully, right, if we really get it, we have that same reaction. And I don't feel that fire all the time, but this semester, I am completely focusing on the practice of presence. And so I am trying to train myself to stop worrying about the future and to start finding God in the moments that I'm in. To stop thinking, well, no, I need to do this because that needs to happen to get me here so that I don't have to blah, 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 and start thinking, okay, God, like, how can I actually be loved by you and show your love to someone else right now? And not all of you struggle with anxiety in that way, and not all of you struggle with being present. But whether you do not believe in God at all yet and are just interested or whether you have been following Jesus since long before I was born, there is somewhere in your life that you currently choose to put God second that you can choose to put him first. And we're not done for tonight. We have another little section. But before we move on, just think about it and think to yourself, if this is something that you believe, if this is something that you want to lean into, What is one place in your life where you are acting like you need something more than Jesus? And if you already have a solution to a way you can do it differently, that's great. If not, just think of that one thing. And I'm not going to make you write it down or like make me a promise. If you change your mind later, it's totally okay. Keep that in your mind or keep thinking it through. And we are going to get to the last part of our passage for tonight. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This woman had this incredible transformation where she understood who Jesus was, and it changed her life, and she told people about it. And her telling people did not automatically just convert them. She wasn't the person who went out and got all these people to follow Jesus. But her story led people to come and see. And that's the title of our whole series, right? Come and see. And when we hear Jesus's invitation, 
into this new way of life where we put him first, where even the things that we would think are the bare necessities come second. And when we live into that new life openly and boldly and confidently, we invite the people around us to come and see, to come and meet Jesus and to hear him for themselves. And I know that like talking about our faith is not always fun. Number one, because it's not popular like at all. Talking about your faith is not a cool thing to do. Um, In our culture, talking about your faith actually can be framed as very negative. And also, some of the things that we have to share, the stories about the ways that God most deeply changed us, can feel really embarrassing. It takes a heck of a lot of courage to stand up in front of people and say, I was able to overcome my addiction because of God. It is scary even to get up and say, like, I'm from cycles of abuse. Like, that's terrifying. But this woman was so excited that she didn't care. And she didn't just go lecturing people, right? Like, I think that's one of the reasons that sharing our faith has such a bad name, because we come up to people and we're like, you, 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 you. But all she did was say, hey, there's this guy, and this is who he says he is, and this is how he changed my life. And people were like, whoa, that's pretty cool. (laughs) And, you know, that may not be the reaction that everybody gives us. I don't want to set any false expectations here. (laughs) But what if there's one person who is stuck in the same thing that you were, who could have the freedom that you found. Wouldn't that be so beautiful? I know that's like my greatest dream and hope is that there are other people who are stuck in abusive cycles who can learn how much they matter and that they're loved. And you probably have a thing too, right? So my encouragement to you, because this is a big, scary thing to figure out how to do yourself, even if you're just picking one thing, Choose an accountability partner. That is somebody you trust in your life who cares about the same things that you do and tell them, this is one way that I want to start to prioritize Jesus. And this is one person that I want to share about it with. And then they can pray for you and they can talk to you. And the best part is they can hold you accountable. They can check in with you in three weeks and go, hey, how's that going? Have you done anything there? Because we hear different talks every week, right? And there are so many things that happen in life, and it is so easy to sit here and think, I should do that. And then the kids are screaming, or you're really tired, or you haven't eaten dinner, and then all of a sudden it's bedtime, and then it's back to work Wednesday morning, and it just kind of flies out the window, right? Which is totally fair. The same thing happens to me. But I'm telling you about an accountability person right now because when I'm done talking, we're going to have a couple announcements, and then we just get to chat. So you can literally grab somebody in this room or a person next to you if you are watching online, and you can say, hey, will you be my accountability partner? Just like that. And if someone asks you to be their accountability partner and you say yes, which you should say, do it. 
Like, don't just say yes, actually do it. My suggestion, when you say yes, say when's a good time to check in with you and set a reminder on your phone. That way you can't forget because you're definitely going to have your phone. Nobody goes around without their phone anymore. And then your phone is going to go off in a couple weeks and you're going to go, oh yeah. And if like, you know, there's someone you haven't talked to a ton before, get their number, you know, the basics. But pick one way that you can step into a new life with Jesus. Think about one person that you might want to share that journey with and ask somebody to hold you accountable to it. I'm gonna pray for us, and then Phil's gonna come do announcements. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you give us these crazy truths, but then actually follow through on your end. We are so grateful for you, and we're so grateful that we can have people to journey towards you with. In Jesus' name, amen.